Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning as we continue our series through Matthew chapter 10, the Sermon on the Mission. We're nearing the end of our series. We have this week and next, and we will have completed chapter 10. We will have completed this series on the mission of the church, which is explained in detail here and is summarized at the end of Matthew in the Great Commission, where we are to go make disciples of every nation, language, people group, culture, society, civilization. And we are to baptize them. We are to teach them all that Jesus commanded, knowing we have this promise that Jesus is with us always. So we continue this morning, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. This is God's holy word for us, his people today. God's word says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is God's holy word for us today. Let's ask him to bless our time in the preaching of his word. Father, we do ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your good word from the mouth of your son today. Give us faith to believe it, zeal to obey it. Conform us a little more into the image of Christ as we see him teach us perfectly here in the Gospel of Matthew. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our series so far, we've seen Jesus do basically three things up to this point. Jesus began the section, the discourse, the sermon on the mission by explaining what the mission is. Then he told them how to do the mission. And then he explained in detail the opposition that we should expect when we join him on this mission. Last week, Jesus explained to us why we should not fear this opposition that he warns us is coming. He wants us to be aware, but not to fear. And he tells us why we shouldn't fear. It's because we have a sovereign, good, almighty, heavenly Father. We should fear God and rest in his sovereign fatherly goodness. And when we do that, we can experience a taste of Psalm 23. Even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, even there I will fear no evil. Not there's no evil to fear, but I will not fear the evil that is here. Why? 
Because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall hunt me down all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we want to experience. That's what we need in our souls to get us through this life and to get us through this kingdom mission. Not with drudgery, like it's this heavy burden we'd rather not carry, but with joy, marching nobly unto Zion to receive our eternal inheritance. That's what we're after. And that's what Jesus offers us in the form of a perfect, powerful, heavenly Father who knows every hair of our head and loves us eternally and has moved heaven and earth to make us his own. That is soul-strengthening good news for needy followers of Jesus this morning. So be encouraged. God is for us, not against us. In our passage this morning, Jesus defines the nature of his ministry in terms of its effects in society. The effect his ministry, his presence, his kingdom, his message is going to have in the world when it shows up. Jesus and the kingdom are a fundamental disruption to the normalcy of our fallen world. When Jesus shows up, business as usual, it's over. It's no longer possible. You have to deal with this man. When he shows up, you have to confront him. And in Matthew's gospel, Pilate recognized this when he had Jesus on trial, when he whips and flogs and butchers Jesus through scourging. And then he drags him up with his crown of thorns and his purple robe and his beard plucked out and the mockery all around him. And he sticks him out in front of the crowd and says, What shall I do with Jesus? That's the question we all have to face. It's a question Pilate clearly has already answered. This is what I do to Jesus, and then I crucify him. All of us have to confront that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? So when, it, when Jesus shows up, you've got to do business with him. Business as usual is over. When we, when you and I go on this Jesus kingdom mission, we introduce this same disruption into our world, into our lives, and into our homes, and into our families. And that's what Jesus describes in our passage today. So let's look at it together. Jesus begins this section with a clarification, a surprising, shocking clarification about his ministry. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, Do not think, don't imagine, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. What? <laughs> That's, that should shock you. Jesus, what are you talking about? And then he makes it worse. I have not come to bring peace. He repeats it. But a sword? Hmm. I have not come to bring peace. Don't think that's why I'm here. I'm here to bring a sword. Now, I mentioned this 
last week or week before, that we have to remember that in life, in politics, in theology, everywhere you go, two things can be true at once, unless they're a literal contradiction, A and not A. Two things can be true at once. There are multiple senses in which Jesus absolutely did come to bring peace. And the Bible explains these. In fact, he's even called the Prince of Peace. When Advent gets here, basically next week, because, I mean, it's over, right? Summer's gone, fall's here, I'm already chilly. We're going to celebrate the Prince of Peace. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men and all that. So there are senses in which Jesus did come to bring peace, and I just want to share three of those with you so that we get the other side of this passage, so that we can understand what Jesus does mean in contrast to what he can't mean. So Jesus does bring peace in at least three different ways. And the first and most important one is Jesus brings peace with God. Peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous, received the verdict in the court of heaven, not guilty, since we have been justified, not by works, not by holiness, not by good intentions, but by faith, and faith only, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus absolutely came to reconcile us to God, to make us one with Him again, so we can have our Heavenly Father back in this broken relationship that sin introduces can be taken care of. We can be reconciled. That's what an atonement is. It brings enemies together as friends. Jesus came to reconcile us to God, to make us not his enemies, but his worshipers, friends of God, children of God. Jesus brings peace with God. Second way he brings peace is that he brings peace between fellow believers. Again, Paul in Colossians Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Jesus came to put his peace in our hearts. Think about in John, in the, in the discourse of, at the end of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, Jesus says, My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. He can give us peace with God, peace with one another, peace in the midst of our trials. And then the last thing is that Jesus gives us, he came to give us peace with unbelievers. Peace with our enemies. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Paul says this. He says, in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably or live in peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. You see what Jesus came to do? To put us at peace with God, to put us at peace with each other, to put us at peace in the midst of trials and struggles and affliction, and to give us peace with those who don't want to be peaceful to us. 
to give us peace with enemies, to give us peace with unbelievers. So what in the world does Jesus mean in Matthew 10, 34? Don't think I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. The sword that Jesus brings, that sword which takes away peace, is the deep division that the kingdom introduces into the world between those who are with Jesus and those who are against Jesus. We all have to do business with this Jesus. We've all got to make a decision about him. And some of us will be for him and some will be against him. And that is a division that will cause all of this ferocious tension and conflict and opposition between Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. Those who are with Jesus on his mission, in his kingdom, they're living a different kind of life for a different kind of God, for a, in a different kind of world compared to those who are still in darkness, unbelief, living in sin. There will be opposition, and it comes from this hostility deep in the cavernous depths of a fallen, unregenerate person who might be nice and kind and decent and, and a good neighbor and a good citizen, and, and that's fine. But down below it, he doesn't want Jesus. And if you say you need him, that's going to come up at some point. And it can lead to all this ferocity that Jesus explains in these extreme examples about fathers and mothers putting their children to death for being Christians. And the opposite, children rising up against parents and putting them to death for being Christians. Dangerous stuff. Serious stuff. The great sword of division that cuts right through homes, families, marriages, relationships, businesses, banks, schools, organizations, governments, neighborhoods, politics, you name it. Jesus is a divisive figure. And he understands that he came and is pressing the claims of God's kingdom and it's going to bring a sword and it's going to cause division. It's going to divide. Now look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. This is an important point we have to grasp about this sword that Jesus says he's bringing. Jesus repeats it twice, not peace but a sword. So he means it. He means what he says. Jesus brings a sword. Do not doubt it. But he puts it in the hands of his enemies, not in the hands of his followers. Jesus comes not to make us vengeful people who retaliate and try to spread his kingdom with a sword. Jesus comes to put the sword in someone else's hand. In other words, they will be our enemies, but we will not be their enemies. 
we will live at peace. He puts his peace in our hearts towards even an enemy. But there's no peace in their heart towards us. This is what the kingdom does. The kingdom of darkness is enraged against the kingdom of heaven. They may treat us as, as enemies, but we do not retaliate. We love in the face of hate, and we suffer with Christ rather than fight back. The kingdom of heaven is not advanced by a sword, but by a cross. Many of you may know the pain and the awkwardness and the difficulty of having unsaved family members. It's often in our own families, whether it's our family at home or an extended family, that we see and feel most sharply the edge of that sword of division and how difficult and trying it can be. Family events, Thanksgiving, at your grandmother's house on a Sunday afternoon, gathered it for holidays, inviting them to church, and feeling the, just feeling the hardness of heart. Not necessarily, you know, evil and wickedness and like cussing at you, although that might be happening too. But just the difficulty of, how, of trying to be a Christian in a family where you're not all Christians. You don't all love and follow Jesus. And it just brings, it can just, you know, it can bring conflict. It doesn't necessarily have to bring it every day and in all sorts of nasty ways. But there's just something fundamentally different about a Christian and a non-Christian. Something deep at the bottom of the soul that tells the other person, I'm living for a, another, another purpose than you are. And I wish you would join me. And one's trying to evangelize the other, and it causes a mess many times. Perhaps you know what this is like. And this is where Jesus, in the face of this difficulty, calls you to make a decision. You have to decide between two questions. Two questions. Question number one. Who do you love the most? Another way to ask it is, who claims your ultimate commitment? Who claims your ultimate commitment? Verse 37 in our passage. Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Notice Jesus doesn't say whoever decides to stop loving and caring about father or mother or brother or sister and only loves me and doesn't love them at all anymore and abandons them and turns against them and he doesn't say that. You keep on being at peace. 
You keep on loving. You keep on being part of that family. You keep on giving and serving and going to those functions and and trying to build those relationships and not be a hindrance to the sweet testimony of Jesus. And you try to be humble and gracious and pray, and when they need help, you show up. You still are committed to that family. Yes, of course. But they're not your ultimate commitment. Your allegiance is to someone else. Your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, and you're not going to back down. You're not going to compromise. You're not going to forsake him for their sake. You're not going to stop being Christian at home just because they don't feel comfortable with it. Now, you try to be humble and gracious and patient and, and respectful and courteous. Of course, it takes wisdom for you to figure out your own dynamics and your own situation, of course. But we've got to face this question, every last one of us, who do you love the most? Who do you love more than Jesus? It's got to be nobody. Your ultimate allegiance is to him. And your second question you have to face, not just who claims your ultimate commitment, who do you love the most, but your second question is, what weapon will you live by? What weapon will you live by? The sword or the cross? Verse 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I came to bring a sword, but whoever doesn't take his, not sword, but cross, and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus didn't just bring a sword. He brings a cross. He gives the sword to those who reject him, and he hands his followers their own cross, and he says, follow me. This is the way. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to advance this kingdom, guys. This is how we're going to march forward. This is how we're going to do spiritual warfare. This is how we're going to conquer darkness. This is how we're going to push back the enemy. We're going to advance with a cross on our shoulders and nail scars in our hands and suffer at the hands of those that we've handed the sword to. We're not going to be vengeful. We're not going to become resentful and bitter. We're not going to be the people who throw away the peace of Christ and let revenge rule our hearts. We're not going to fight with a sword. That's the world's way of doing things. That's what the Romans do. They come in with their swords and they massacre and they brutalize. We don't advance our kingdom with cruelty. The kingdom of heaven marches with the love of a heavenly father who gives his son in sacrifice for those who are his enemies. That's what we're after. That's how the mission goes forward. What weapon will you live by? You live by the sword? Jesus says you do that, you die by the sword. Live like the world, die with the world. He offers you another way. He offers you a cross. And he offers you the opportunity to walk behind him with your cross. So which kingdom will you advance? The kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of the world? What mission are you on today? The mission of Christ? The mission of his enemies? Again, we cannot stay neutral. Jesus has not left us with that option. 
That takes us to our last point this morning. You can see in verse 39 that Jesus demands a response. Look what he says. Last verse of our text. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Jesus demands a response. He cannot be ignored or swept aside. To ignore him or sweep him aside or try to be neutral is already to make a decision against him. Saying, I'm not going to decide, is a choice you make. You can't not make a decision. You got to do something with Jesus. And there's two kinds of ways to be against him. Totally against him or just try to be neutral. But even if you're trying to be neutral, you're still not for him. Got to do something with Jesus. He's the dividing line. He forces a response. Following Jesus, living in his kingdom, joining him in his mission brings division. It forces a decision. And finally, it requires dedication. But this dedication is totally backwards from the world's way of thinking. Look at verse 39 again. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But I thought he just found it. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Well, I thought you just lost it. How can you you have it and lose it at the same time? How can you lose it and find it at the same time? How do you do that? See, the the way the kingdom operates is just upside down, backwards, and inside out from the way the world operates. It's two different worlds, two different kingdoms. You have to lose your life to find it, and you got to find your life to lose it. This dedication, this dedication... Making this decision to follow Jesus. Deciding to lose your life for his sake so you can find it. This comes with a wonderful promise. A wonderful promise. And if I could paraphrase the way Jesus says it, I'd say it like this. Give your life away to Jesus and you'll get it back forever. Give your life away to Jesus now And when he returns, he gives it back to you. Keep your life to yourself now, and he's going to take it away anyways when he returns. So the question is, what's Jesus going to come back with? If you've given your life to him now, he's going to come back and he'll have your life. And he'll give it back to you for eternity. Resurrection, life with God forever. That's the promise. But if Jesus comes back and he doesn't have your life, he can't give it back to you. You kept it to yourself, and now he takes it away because it's his anyways. That's what happens. It takes dedication, but it's backwards from the way the world thinks. You have to live in a way that it looks like you've given your life away because this isn't the only life there is. Eternity's a lot longer than right now. So choose life, Christian. Choose life by giving it away to Jesus now. Join his kingdom. Join him in his mission. Be his follower. Take up your cross and start marching behind him. 
He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done. He has his cross, and he says, Take up yours and come with me where I'm going. Victory is assured. The way seems counterintuitive, but we're going to get there through a cross, not through a sword. This is how the love of God conquers the world. Take up your cross today, Christian, and follow this Jesus on his mission. He is worthy of this. Anyone who thinks otherwise, he says, is not worthy of me. He is worthy, and the reward he promises is worth it. This is what it means to be a Christian, to dedicate yourself completely to Jesus with the promise that after the cross comes the crown. Let's pray. Father, we are not naturally like this. We are not like Jesus in this way, but we ask for your mercy and grace and the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your life-giving, life-transforming word from the mouth of Jesus to do this work in us, to give us this peace with you in our hearts, peace with one another, peace in our circumstances, peace with our suffering, peace with the cross, peace even towards our enemies. but not a peace that makes us cower and back down and deny Christ. A peace in you that gives us boldness, trusting in this promise of eternal life with Christ, trusting in this promise that our kingdom is moving forward and cannot be shaken and cannot be conquered and cannot fail. Give us boldness and courage. Give us this peace. Help us in our own families in our own situations where we are experience, experiencing the bitterness and the pain of this sword that divides us from others we love. Lord, help us. Help us in this place to bond together and be your kingdom, mission, cross-carrying, dedicated followers who have made our decision that we will follow you, who belong to your kingdom, who give our lives away, knowing that our lives are safe with you and that we get them back forever when you return. Lord, help us to be these kinds of people. Help us to be this kind of Christian. Help us, Lord, to be this kind of church. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.